so yeah, I'm able. Uh, last year I was a climate striker in my last year of sixth form, and I'm still involved with the UK Student Climate Network, it's UKSCN, the branch that's set up in Newcastle. Um, I'm sure most of you are aware of the general story of the strikes so far. So inspired by Greta and others, like worldwide, there's millions of students who are involved and on the streets. Um, so while the movement in the UK is nowhere near the strongest in terms of numbers, it's got a particularly strong political identity, at least at its core. Um, the early stages around last February-March February, time in 2019, um, those people who were involved um, were really strongly anti-capitalist, anti-racist, refused to work with the police, um, and saw workers' control as the key to combining both climate and social justice. Uh, as a national movement, though, we discovered that there's also a lot of people involved who didn't necessarily think the same. Many young Lib Dem members, Tory, sympath Tory sympathisers even, who were engaged in the need to do something about climate change. Um, but I think significant effort has been put in by those more politically motivated to convince fellow school strikers that this is a call for systemic, not just individual climate solutions. Um, so I think we should really recognise that it's perhaps overlooked sometimes, but the achievement of UKSCN as an organisation through hours and hours of online organisation and meetings and education to create a movement that's becoming ever more coherent, um, that calls for system change and social justice, that takes a strong stance against racism, sexism and transphobia, and even takes action within its own organisation on its issues. Uh, the organisation opposes uh, anti-trade union legislation, um, and there's also dedicated time um, to educating activists on um, their own rights, on um, taking action safely, as well as creating non-hierarchical structures, ensuring transparency and democracy within the movement. So I think these are things we really need to celebrate as the movement. Um, but So I think what's really great is we have a great understanding as the climate strike movement of the problems that we face. What's more difficult is looking for a path forwards. So there's a direct action at the budget, I don't know if people saw last week, and that shows a kind of different style of action to the typical strikes. But the essential vision of the climate strike movement is pressuring governments to take meaningful action, um, which is obviously lacking. <laughs> um, I think this is where the intersection of class struggle and environmentalism is really important. Um, so sure, overarching government legislation is really needed and could make serious difference, but it's through a conscious and radical organised labour movement that we will make genuine change. If we continue to rely on an inherently uh, ecocidal capitalist state, I ask, do we not limit ourselves to green policies, essentially on the same spectrum as the green sprinklings that the recent Tory budget introduced? So, yeah, we'd have to think harder, but that doesn't, I'm not trying to say that plans don't exist. In the 1970s, uh, green banks in Australia, as well as the Lucas Plan in the UK, saw workers organise themselves um, to create plans themselves to oppose war and environmental destruction and to propose socially useful uh, production instead. I think we should be inspired by these movements and whilst also recognising new demands of the 21st century. I think um, many young people for sure oppose capitalism, oppose the destruction of the environment, but are yet to be convinced of the need for working class action to oppose it. So I think by work, by organising in currently unorganised industries, 
developing new forms of democratic participation, we can change this around. Um, so yeah, for sure, overall, the UK climate strike movement has failed, I think, it's fair to say, unfortunately, uh, to inspire a serious upturn in environmental trade union action. Um, on a local level, I think beyond, um, trade union support often consists of how can we support the youth strike instead of taking matters into their hands. But this, isn't, this crisis that we're facing isn't going away at all. The struggle is only getting sharper. So last month, uh, Drax and Selby announced several hundred job losses due to phasing out of coal burning. Uh, the labour movement, I think, really needs to be at the forefront of opposing these job losses while simultaneously demanding clean, unionised jobs in democratically run industries. I hope as well the vitalism of the climate strikers can inspire a rejuvenated movement, one that stands up to bureaucracy and authoritarianism and opens more spaces which were once abandoned for living and working together outside the capitalist model, for creating art and throwing parties. It's possible to ignore the fact that the climate strike movement is generating either the excitement or attention that it was nearly a year ago, but it's definitely not a reason to give up on it. It might not be so trendy anymore, but there is a really strong core of activists within the climate strike movement who are committed to carrying it on. I think it's crucial that the importance of organised labour movement is not lost on this group of school strikers, because together they'll make a mighty force for change. Thanks, guys. Um, my name is uh, John Maloney. I'm the Assistant General Secretary of the uh, PCS Union. Uh, I've been asked, though, before I get on to the main contribution, which is around, obviously, what my union and other unions are doing or not doing, I think more accurately, around climate change, to quickly touch on the COVID crisis that is certainly engulfing the areas that we organise in, but basically of society. We've got a series of simple demands in the PCS that we've put to various employers. One, obviously, clearly that people should have the right to uh, leave work if they believe they're in danger. We want to do that on a collective basis. So we've put the demand that if one person gets sick in an office, the whole office should be shut and everybody should be sent home until it's safe for people to return. We're very clear that contracted out staff, outside staff, staff should get full sick pay. That's not just statutory sick pay from day one. And they should have all the same rights we have to self-isolate themselves to go off the job, etc. And we think that component part is just as important as our own demands for our own members. Because even in a selfish way, if contractors feel as though they have to return to work when they're ill because statutory sick pay is so low, they'll just contaminate the other workers in the office. But more importantly, politically, we think it's vitally important that all outsized workers be treated the same as inside workers. And in fact, actually, obviously, we make the general demand that all work should be brought back in-house. And to be blunt, um, every crisis can always be used. And whereas is usually bosses use crises very well, the trade union movement uses it very badly. We hope, at least out of this, we should get some social gains. One, about talking about contracted out staff, what terms and conditions they're on, about SSP, how low it is, etc., but also more specifically about unionising those outsourced workers. We certainly are going to make a big push to unionise every cleaner, guard, etc. on our estates because only then can they have the collective uh, support and solidarity of a trade union. We've got to try to explain that and work them, win them over. Now, the briefing we've been given by the civil service, and it is quite frightening, is, and they're doing it, this is a worst-case scenario, but it gives you 
uh, background to the potential crisis that we're facing as a trade union movement and also as a society is that they estimate that by the time the pandemic is over or at least dies down to uh, if you like controllable levels that 80% of the population will be infected and won't, uh, will be affected. They believe 50% of the 8% of affected people will show signs, symptoms, etc. They're predicting that the peak uh, of the epidemic will be in May. They reckon that there will be a six-week period where maybe in only one particular day, 20% of the working population will be sick. So they're planning for a, a, actually a fundamental impact on the economy and society and we're obviously in the trade union movement have to do the same and certainly my union we're thinking about demands during the peak period so for instance that every office should be shut all workers should be sent home on full pay etc because the peak period we think is going to be where the crunch really comes because employers obviously clearly in their view will want people to come into work but to come into work and peak period is almost guaranteeing you, well not guaranteeing you, but obviously increases your chances of becoming ill. So I think the trade union movement as a whole has to think about the peak period, which as I said is being predicted for May, but potentially could go into June, that six week period of maximum illness. But coming back to climate change, I go from one crisis, which is immediate in the next few weeks, to a crisis that's ongoing and obviously will affect all of us, all our lives, doesn't matter how young you are in this uh, meeting. It's a, a decades-long crisis, which is a crisis is which we can't avoid. Change is going to happen. The only argument now is how we mitigate and how we actually make it less worse than it is given the current policies of this government, but all governments across the planet. Now, the PCS union's position is one that the industry should be democratically run. We certainly have our union position is we need a democratic plan for the whole of society if we are going to hit the target, which the union's position is, or target of decarbonisation by 2030. In order to hit that target, it would require an enormous change in the way energy is produced, the way we work, etc. And we think our union's policy, which has been voted on by conference, is only with a democratic plan and democratic controls over the economy can you achieve that. Now, I have to say is lots of other unions don't have that position. And in fact, lots of other unions are actually using the climate change um, crisis as actually a way of trying to solidify themselves in certain industries. So I was at a recent uh, meeting where two unions started to get into a row and I asked afterwards, why are they round? So for instance, one union was denouncing all climate change activists as middle class and out to destroy good jobs. It's a bit like what uh, obviously our comrade from Australia has, has said. And they argue, and afterwards, I found out, why would they do it? They said, well, they're arguing over trying to, who can unionise the uh, nuclear industry? In other words, they're trying to actually prove themselves in the nuclear industry that they're against climate change uh, uh, comrades, such as the colleague here, because they figure that that right-wing message will go down well with nuclear workers who are looking for somebody to defend the nuclear industry. And ditto with carbon uh, power stations, etc. And we have to be very careful because that wedge is not only going to be used by certain unions who are actually going to take their position of defending what they have now, but obviously, as we see in Australia, and, and partially in this country, but not so much, but certainly in Australia, where actually whole right-wing politicians and parties base themselves on one, climate change doesn't exist, 
But even if it did, it is there if we actually if like acquiesce to demands of environmentalists, environmentalists, it will mean the destruction of the economy and the destruction of good paying jobs. And we have to have an answer. Now, in my union, obviously, clearly, we make the demands about trans transition. But generally, the trade union uh, movement has very poor position on this. It's not worked out. It's just a sticking plaster. When somebody meets somebody from a power industry, you can just say, just transition, brother or sister. And that's not good enough. We have to actually come up with a plan. And that's why we think we need a democratic control of the economy, because that's the only way we can guarantee to that worker that they won't be thrown on the scrap heap. And I have met uh, ex-miners who are virulently anti-climate change uh, campaigners, because their argument is those sort of people would have welcomed my pits closed down. Those sort of people would have welcomed the desolate name of my village. And we have to have an argument for that, because if we don't, then the Labour movement will be fragmented, and, and said right-wing politicians will drive a wedge between us and actually large scales of the working-class population. We are trying to uh, transform, though, uh, green climate change, not only as a trade union movement in a political sense, but also as a bread and butter bargaining issue. So, for instance, this year we're going to put instructions, we're going to uh, educate people that they must start raising climate change demands in the workplace as union demands. Not big generic things like, I don't know, decarbonised by 2030, but simple things like all vehicles we use should be electric. All power suppliers we have should be green, though obviously we know that a lot of the power suppliers are not green at all, but you know, the sort of arguments. All bulbs should be LED. Simple demands that we think we can mobilise people behind, but nevertheless it's negotiate in the workplace to change the workplace. We hope on that basis to actually infuse the uh, many, many uh, environmental campaigners, campaigners who are in the civil service and the public sector, but are not active trade unions or not even a union, to actually join with us. Because the argument we make to those people, you can obviously have your activity outside work, but why would you actually say that work is not a field for struggle over green activity as well? It seems bizarre that you might be against fracking on the Saturday and the Sunday, and then you come into the office and you're indifferent to the environment in the workplace. And we say that the union is the vehicle where you can actually, in work, carry on your political activity outside work. We're also very clear is that... Um, about the dress transition, uh, about how we can do it. So we've written to several unions saying, can we have a meeting to flesh the bones of that, to try to work out some uh, legislation so that we could actually go to other unions and say, this is how it could actually work. We have also been talking about internally about the possibility of strikes over climate change. Now, the last big climate change uh, strike for this, uh, by children, school children and what have you, we did have a debate on our NEC whether or not we could join them on strike. Now, the thing that stopped us, and it was virtually unanimously stopped us, is the anti-trade union laws. Now, we think, therefore, a key demand, and obviously Comrade here has mentioned it, of the uh, environmental movement has to be that the anti-trade union, uh, anti union laws have to be abolished. They are a major impediment of unions taking the sort of action that's needed. And it's no good people just saying you should take strike action wherever you like. Some places we can do that, but the great bulk of the workforce, we can't. If the trade union laws didn't exist, we would make those demands and we would actually take action. But even within the constraints of the anti-trade union law, we are trying to work out now, can we have a trades dispute over the environment? So for, with uh, taking legal advice at the moment, 
that air pollution, can we put a general demand on our various employers that because of air pollution outside infecting people inside, that we air pollution? Now, our lawyers say that's possible and they're trying to construct a just basis, but we think, and we hope other unions might do, is even if we're constrained by the anti-trade union laws, can we actually generate a trade dispute around green issues? Partly if we start to bargain on green issues in the workplace, we could do. And I wouldn't be so crude to say if they didn't put in LED lights, we should have a strike on it. But you can imagine that if we actually said in a series of workplaces, we want you to reduce, I don't know, the carbon output by 20%, and here's our series of bargaining demands, and they refuse, in theory, you could have a strike about those bargaining demands. It's indirectly about the climate, but it's about what you do in the workplace. And so, in other words, we think that people should be more imaginative of what is a trade dispute. Very quickly, because I'm coming uh, to an end, clearly the, uh, the COP at the end of the year, we want to join with other unions and green campaigners, climate change, to have a major campaign of activity around that, particularly, obviously, for our uh, workers in Scotland. Last but not least, we're also taking uh, legal advice about, some people in this room will know, in the Netherlands, the, the Netherlands government, recently lost a, a court case where um, a group of activists argued that given the various international obligations that the country had signed up to, the current decarbonisation plans didn't match up with the treaty obligations, and they lost, which means in theory they have to actually now go back and present more decarbonisation plans. We are looking for something along those lines, a bit along the lines of the third runway uh, defeat the government's had, to also use the law along with activity and potentially hopefully strike action to enforce it. But last thing, uh, thing just to, re to echo what the comrade said here, we cannot have a divided movement. The trade union cannot be separated and shouldn't allow it to be separated from the green movement, the climate change movement. It should be one the whole. We should learn for you, you should learn for us. The danger, and obviously uh, Hopefully we can talk about it today, though unfortunately I can't do because I've got to go to a meeting about COVID-19 this afternoon, it is about how we avoid that. Because if, we, if that split happens, it's going to be disastrous for us as a move, disastrous for this planet.